similar to like probably why the Providence Comics Consortium is comics and not poetry is it just like the the how wide the accessibility is for comics yeah that they can be like you know you don't have to you don't have to speak english well to make comics you yeah. don't even have to use words Welcome to Drawing a Dialogue Presents. Here on Dad Presents, we interview comic educators, academics, historians, and anyone else involved in comic scholarship. Dad Presents is released on the same feed as Drawing a Dialogue, but it is in addition to our regular episodes. My name is Kathy G. Johnson, and I'm a cartoonist, scholar, and educator. And E. Jackson is our other host, but I'm flying solo to with our guest today. We've decided to take this opportunity to release our first episode of Dad Presents, since in one week, me and E will be flying to Los Angeles to perform a live show of Drawing a Dialogue. A regular episode will be coming out later this month. If you are in the LA area, please come out to Comic Arts Los Angeles on December 9th and 10th and check us out. So on this first episode of Dad Presents, I am interviewing Walker Metling. Walker is the co-founder of the Providence Comics Consortium, which is a series of comic classes that Walker and his helpers have taught in Providence Community Libraries. They have produced over 25 books of adults and kids' comics printed together over the past seven years. Walker is going to talk a little bit more about how um, the PCC works in the second half of our interview. Um, but I just wanted to talk about why I wanted to go with Walker in this very first episode of Dad Presents. Um, so Walker introduced me to teaching. Um, when I first moved to Providence, um, that will be five years ago, six years ago. Um, I was just looking for a job and I met Walker probably one of the first days that I moved here. And he said, hey, I can give you a job as a teaching assistant. And I said, I have never taught before. Um, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and here we are now. <laughs> now I have a master's degree in it. Now I'm obsessed with teaching. I absolutely love it. Walker has been a very influential on my work as a teacher. So I just really wanted to take this opportunity to sort of honor how influential that he's been um, for me and my work, which is also true for a lot of other people in cartoonists in the Providence area. There's also a lot of other collaborators that have worked with Walker and he's going to tell you all about them in the upcoming uh, interview. We talk about libraries and art communities and overlap and I really think you'll enjoy it. I also want to say that me and Walker were sharing a microphone so the audio quality kind of goes in and out but I hope that won't stop you from listening. Um, so I caught this interview with Walker on the heels of an event that he held at the Rhode Island School of Design Museum, so the RISD Museum. Um, so uh, this first question is about that event. Um, so 
let's get to it. What happened on Thursday, Walker? Okay, so this year at the RISD Museum, I'm the artist fellow at the RISD Museum, and I put together a night market, and I lined up a bunch of 18 to 20-something screen printer kids that I overlap with at AS220 Print Shop, and then uh, a bunch of cartoonists that help with the Providence Comics Consortium. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a night market, and I gave most of the people involved a stipend to make new work. Um, oh, cool. And then also, another part of that was there's a drawing show at the RISD Museum right now that's objects on loan from the British Museum. And uh, they're right outside of that show, there's a... What's that show called? I don't know. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like drawn... It's like drawing. Drawn out. Uh, Yeah, no, I think that the, the, I don't know if that show is also out of line. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, it's it's out of line. It's all kind of punny. Some sort of, but so, and I think I was thinking that the, the show right outside of the British Museum show was out of line, but the, the one that E is, is uh, like facilitating. So I got to take over the drawing space um, out there that's like an interactive space cool. in, in the museum. So had a big coloring wall and made blob revelation cubes, uh, which were like these weird cardboard sculptures that had a bunch of just colored blobs on them that people could um, uh, draw and reveal what those blobs were. And we got <laughs> like special permission to use Sharpies in the museum, which I thought was right, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, uh, and then we ha- there was a all three of these uh, drawing games were like reprised from they just shown up um, at some point over the year but we're reprising a um, a sketchbook uh, assignment uh, based uh, game that we I was calling image capture where you treat a sketchbook like a camera phone. Um, that we did with some adults in a sketchbooking class in Telluride this summer. And Telluride is a... Colorado. And Colorado. So it, at the AHA School, which uh-huh. is like a is a cool little art... Um, uh, like, um, it's like a summer camp, day camp, right? Would you w- call it that? Well, so, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't call it that. I would... It's like a... Because it's like that in the summer... For kids and stuff, uh-huh. but like I think it's like all year round. It's a, it's like a, it's community kind of, center. Yeah, like a community place. arts cool. place. Uh, but so we did a class there, and one of the, one of the things we, we did was this image capture thing where people, we gave them a, an exhaustive list of things to, uh, capture, and so we gave them an hour lunch break that they had to go out into <laughs> Telluride and capture all these things. Like they uh, were like birds tra- Instagramming it, or per, yeah, like as though they were. <laughs> it's like they had to catch four of each of the things, so it was like. But they're drawing. Yeah. So mm. so like when I was doing, so I did it. I think I was the I was I was so into it 
I, I got back like right as the hour closed and there's people already there. And I was like, ah, I was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, was I the only one who like completed the list? Like it was like a, I, so if it was four, if it was like 12, so it was like, were you, you had, teaching this workshop? Yes. Or just taking it? Oh, no, okay. I was, no, I was teaching it. So <laughs> I, I was sort of, I kind of got in a disciplinary mode when I was like, wait, how did you guys get back early? Like I'm going so fast but it's that thing where I'm collecting birds and I couldn't find biological birds so I was like I found like uh two plastic flamingos before I found any like little little tiny birds like rolling in the dirt or whatever and like so anyways so we brought that to the museum and and just had a museum to the RISD museum yeah and and uh so they had a stack of free sketchbooks and this and this List. Were they objects in the museum's collection? So, or? I mean, it's whatever. But the the for example, it's like electronic devices, clothing, you know, animals, monsters. So it's like, yeah, the idea is to rip it from. They could rip it from real life. They can rip it from art life. People watching. Um, it's weird to do it like indoors in a way, but I, I, I mean, it's just weird because it was like different than the. How many how participants did. did you have? Uh, in the wait in Telluride. Um no in the I, RISD Museum. I think a couple a couple hundred people came awesome. through. Awesome, awesome. But um, I was just floating upstairs and downstairs. But yeah. They they had a they had like a a people counter clicker going. So. Oh okay cool. See when we did the original interview. Yeah. Your past experience when we talked about um, your college and labor studies, yeah. right? Um, sort of, sort of fed into your pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Where did you go to college? Um, so I went to San Francisco State University (SFSU) in 19, 1998, 2001, I think, two thousand one, two thousand two, something like that. Did you um, graduate? I graduated. Uh, I had a, I had an outstanding, uh, uh, paper that, like, so I, I have an, there's, like, an extra year on the books between me, like, being oh. out of there <laughs> and, like, turning in this paper or whatever. But, yeah, I was in the labor studies department, and it was a, it was a mixed bag. It was, I was, I was drawn to it because I was interested in labor, and they, in the, there's a, a really cool um, labor library at San Francisco State and right. Yeah. What's in the labor library? So there was all sorts of stuff. So that you know, books, <clears throat> books on work and labor and and all that. But then also, I think I got drawn in there. I I kind of got uh, in some ways I got pushed into it by my dad, who's uh who's who's big into labor. But then mm-hmm. I think when. I kind of started learning more about how San Francisco State, about San Francisco State's involvement in the beginning of like the free speech movement stuff with like uh, Black Panthers on campus and stuff. Uh-huh. And so they have like all the old Black Panther newspapers and stuff like oh, that. Cool. And so like, like all the Emory Douglas yeah, work. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and so like there was. You know, and and there was all sorts of wild stuff in terms of like the San Francisco State newspaper uh, in the late '60s. Uh, you know, 
like Panthers coming in, you know, if they, I, I forget what the specifics are, but I think there was like a bad editorial, but, and then somebody gets uh, dangled out a window. And so there's a big hubbub, <laughs> you know, and, uh, uh, but so all of that was super interesting. And, um, and, uh, but, but so, and I had, I had some, I had done some work uh, for some unions on like political campaigns and, um, while I, you were in school? While I was in while I was in school, I I took I took off um a chunk of school and went to New York and did some work with Acorn doing like um tenant organizing. What was Acorn again? Acorn <clears throat> the uh Association of Community Organizations for Reform now. Cool. They got um so like that was the thing that like conservatives were going nuts about like uh Obama's uh involvement in Acorn. Yeah. And, um and oh, then, when he was younger. Yeah, and then and then Acorn actually had a fall from grace in terms of uh they it's it's disbanded at this point. Um mm-hmm. uh because of one of the brothers of the the higher ups was uh was uh, borrowing money in a not so uh, <laughs> legal fashion, um, and so uh, they got they got taken out. Um, but um, so you went to New York. What well, year would this be? Two two thousand two thousand two thousand one. Okay. Um, and, and what were you doing there? So I was doing tenant organizing, and then there was um, uh, that was like during the school privatization push that Edison. Edison was like this school privatization company and that and they had I think they had already started doing privatized schools in Chicago and they were starting to try and um, oh. take over public schools in Brooklyn. So so in some ways, like at San Francisco State, I was able to um, because classes were so impacted at San Francisco State it, that it was hard for anybody to get out in four years um, just because oh, you couldn't I so I actually I you know I got to apply all that towards my you know uh your time in New York yeah so what was what's the work that you, like what's the privatization that was happening there? If, oh do you know yeah so so that was so instead of instead of I mean it, I mean it's kind of the same story with all the privatization stuff that's happening there, instead of putting money into these public schools that were failing because they didn't have funds. Yeah. They didn't have a, they didn't have a a big tax base Uh in terms of money coming in because of the way public schools are funded. And so instead of like figuring out a different way of getting money into these schools, they would basically you know, they would sell the schools to private uh, institutions that would like put special ed in the basement, and then it's and then it becomes this thing where they're trying to draw um, already better performing students towards the school and get you know worse performing students out of the school, and so it becomes so they get this, better grades, right? Yeah, right. So it's it, higher test scores, right? So okay. they're yeah. So and so that doesn't really that didn't serve the community at all. You no. know, it, it might look better on paper, but so there was a lot at that point when that was happening. There was tons of horror stories coming out of like Chicago where it had already happened. 
and and it was it was really cool like in terms of parents were like we had you know parents got a vote on whether or not the schools would privatize and so it was this big threat like the threat was that if you don't vote for the privatization of your schools they're going to be closed um and and so it's just like oh that's like a rock and hard place threat and it's just so but they even in that in the face of that threat it was like an overwhelming vote it was like more people came out to vote in these uh, school votes than had come out in the most recent presidential <laughs> election or whatever. So, wow. <laughs> and like they didn't close the schools um, and they didn't yeah. let Edison in. And uh, oh, great. But so, so th- this was 2000, 2001. Yeah. What was your art practice like at this time? I think I was writing a lot and I think I was sketchbooking, um, just, I think, just doodling and then. And playing some music. Um, That's right. You were in a band in um, high school. In high school, I was in a band. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, the timeline gets kind of kind of weird in my mind. But like, you know, at a certain point, I was I was, um, you know, just doing weird like like puppet tours in like punk venues and stuff yeah. like that. You know. Um, um. When so, what is your first teaching thing that you did? Yeah, so like 2000, probably like late 2001, early 2002, I was doing, um, when I was like, for all intents and purposes, out of San Francisco State, I I think I had an AmeriCorps job where I was doing after school, I was doing in school, like math tutoring, I think. Um, you were AmeriCorps a- after you graduated? Yeah. Okay, okay. Did after school programs. And so we did some bookmaking stuff. I think there's somewhere right over there is the like okay. I think it's I think it was a book called The Three Angry Balloons that, that oh, yeah. we had a <laughs> after school uh bookmaking club um at, at at a school in Fruitvale. I I looked it up. I looked Fruitvale, up, California? Uh yeah, so it's okay. a neighborhood in Oakland. Um right. and uh and uh yeah, so those kids would be in there like mid 20s at this point I think like <laughs> 22 23 something like that I don't know if I was already doing stuff with uh 826 Valencia that was either right before or right after or at this at concurrent with, yeah with that and so um I was helping do the they did daily field trips so like a, cl- a, a class of kids would come in um, to, so A two six Valencia, the, they're all over the place, but n- that was the first one. It's like a pirate store in the front um, because the building was zoned commercial, <laughs> and in the back, it's like an after school writing drop in zone. And then mm-hmm. during the day, it's um, a field trip place where it's centered around writing communally a story that comes to a a cliffhanger ending and then while the kids are each writing their own individual cliffhanger or not cliffhanger but their own uh resolution to the story the the books are being printed in the back so that like <laughs> once their uh once their ending is done like the books are just like thrown through a perfect binding machine and everybody gets to take home uh their copy of their book 
um, with their story, with with their with the mm -hmm. communal story and individual ending uh, in time to go to the park and have lunch or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, and so I really liked that. It was a fun. I yeah, I liked the the timed nature of it. I started. Uh, so there's a bunch of different roles in that. So I started as an illustrator. There would be a leader up front. There would be a typist in the back. So the lights would be dimmed and the story as it was getting pulled out of all the different people would be typed on the screen in front of us. And then there'd be an illustrator with an easel drawing illustrations oh, as, cool. as the thing materialized. As the students are talking. Right. Yeah. And... Uh, so I started as an illustrator and then uh, pretty quickly started leading those. I, I went back a few years later just to, uh, I think I think I just, I when I came back to town in San Francisco to check it out, like I think the, the person who had been like, whose uh, responsibility, the field trips had yeah. been, it had moved on and they kind of had, uh, they had a different system that was, I think it was, it was probably more humane for the people that actually work there, but it was less satisfying for me. I think I was a little critical of. Uh, I was like, you, you, I was like, like wait, the quick turnaround and stuff. Yeah. The quick turnaround was important to me, and I think the idea of kids leaving that day with their book and yeah. it being like one and done was part of the magic for me. And you know, there was a bunch. There was there was a lot of aspects of that field trip that were performative there would be an intern up in the ceiling who is performing as the disembodied voice of like an angry <laughs> publisher um so it was like mr blue or mrs blue whoever was up in the attic and like they would, you know, if they had to go to the bathroom, they would just have to figure it out up there. You know what I mean? Um, but it, I liked that, like, that made it, you know, the pirate ship, the pirate store up front. Like, it was yeah. kind of a pirate field trip in that way. And so, like, I, and whoever was leading it would have written their own ending and take their book up to Mr. or Mrs. Blue, who would just, like, shred it, would just, like, rip I have I have copies of some of my books that were like ripped in half and then the 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 like pages just thrown down the ladder hole in the ceiling and kids are getting like weepy cuz it's like let me see let me see someone else's ending is like Javier cuz the whole premise so is that like adults like the kids you're you're like, I'm about to lose my job because the books we're turning out are all garbage and I'm like I've got a bunch of kids here do you want to see if they can write a book <laughs> and then it's, and then and it's like kids kids are idiots kids can't write books and it's like come on you guys and let's and they're like we can write books too you know and then so at the end it's kind of this thing where it's like I'm gonna read through everyone's ending and you know each kid gets like a glowing you know, just yeah, like, yeah, oh my god, course, yeah. this is great, you know, but they don't know it because it's, I just love that part of it too, where it's like, Walker, let's see your ending, you know, and it's like, <laughs> the snail man goes to the mall and buys some shoes, this is complete garbage, <laughs> and it's just the book being ripped in half and thrown down the stairs, and like, kids are starting to shake yeah. and get weepy, I like that because it kind of like built up the stakes, yeah. you know, in that way where it's like, 
And so some kids are like getting migraines and shaking you their head. You do a lot of theatrical work still, right? Like you read, re- oh. you read out loud, and like, like it's a huge part of what you do. I think that that I think that exists inside. So, but yeah, so I I don't know. So I really yeah. like that. Uh, I lo- like doing the eight two six Valencia, and then that was that uh, that was uh, that experience was balanced by doing art it juvie in the alameda county uh, like juvenile i you know the youth prisons basically yeah um and 2002 at, 2001 yeah i think it was, that might have even at that point we might be talking 2003 2004 oh okay all right but i'm and not what sure sort of work did you do with those students there i started out assisting a friend of mine taylor neeming dowdy and so she had a she so she she had been doing it for a while but we were we're just doing programming art programming if I remember right a few times a week we would go into their cell block how old were these students they were basically middle school through 18 so some of them were waiting to be transferred to adult facilities and stuff um, and then some of them were always there. Some sometimes it would be, you know, kids would uh, transfer in and out really quickly. Um, um, but it, and then that was that was totally interesting in terms of seeing a um, an an art hierarchy. In um, initially when we started, there was a kid who was a basically um, he was you know he was pro art. He was good. He he had a uh, he had like you know, kind of a traditional ballpoint pen style yeah. of like, like, uh, well, like prison so, art. Sort uh, of very tattooish, sure. graphic. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so in that way, it was kind of like having a patron of the arts. And so he was the, so he was the oldest kid in, in that block. And, um, oh, cool. and, and, and whoever was top of the chain kind of, dictated you know how how other kids responded to it which is interesting um so because he was you know he was confident as an artist they were really receptive and it's that thing where depending on depending on the week it would be like you know I don't think we ever were able to use scissors but it just like you know sometimes it was no pencils and um Oh. And so it was very limited in terms of what we could do. Eventually, I think we did a lot of clay work. And I think I got into the clay work because in terms of making art that's based on line making, like, like just drawing, drawing yeah. I think, yeah, just drawing, um, <laughs> drawing. Um, but the idea, but I think I'm, I used the word line making because... Mm-hmm. In juxtaposition with working with clay, like in terms of making a line, it's there. And the 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 amount that kids in juvie had to guard themselves, it was not a safe place to make art at all. It was certainly a safer place when um, I can't remember his name, which is unfortunate. But the that first kid who was who was great with a ballpoint pen. Uh, you know, I think kids were in general were freer, but I mean, the second that you can, that you're, if you're, if you're drawing and making lines, once you have a line on the paper, you're, 
you're open to criticism and you're yeah. open to getting like slapped down or whatever. Yeah. Um, but like clay, you can kind of there's a plausible deniability <laughs> of like, you're like no 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 I'm still in I'm still in the middle of processing where this is going and yeah. so just the idea of that the that that even though it's the 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 minor permanence of putting a line on a paper like opens you up to uh, potential abuse in a way that like just kind of just like uh, forming just kind of openly forming stuff with uh clay and i mean it was in a lot of ways it was goofy like there was and I, yeah the example i'm gonna give isn't like haha goofy it's kind of like oh that's unfortunate goofy uh -huh. but just like you know it just uh lots of rest in peace clay um memorials and then you're like wait is this is this for someone you know that's passed and it's like no, it's for my enemy. It's a future. It's a projection of, <laughs> it's revenge art. And you're like, oh, well, you know, I don't, <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, well, I hope that's a positive ch channeling of your, uh, you know, and I, and in some way, I think you can make an argument that it is, you know, in some yeah. ways, as I think about like, you know, uh, comics consortium stuff and and what people do in terms of how kids might yeah. use comics consortium consortium stuff as like art therapy i'm like oh you know i think yeah. i think you know making making rest in peace uh <laughs> no i get it objects I get it. Yeah. in terms i mean i think yeah the stress reliever or whatever <laughs> i don't know might not be totally healthy but you know whatever so let's skip ahead yeah and let's talk about Providence Comics Consortium. Okay. So what is Providence Comics Consortium? If you can summarize it real quick. Yeah. So the Providence Comics Consortium, or the PCC, started in 2010, uh, October 2010. And it was Andrew Esch and myself, uh, the Providence Community Libraries, um, recently separated from the Providence Public Library. Um, to keep open all of the branch libraries in Providence. Um, I think they wanted to do more with less in terms of having new programming. And so they got in touch and um, they the Providence Community Library. The Providence Community Libraries got in touch and they wanted um, to do comics classes. Um, specifically, it was uh, Michelle Novello and Lanham Bundy, who was the head librarian at Washington Park at that point, and cool. then and then Michelle Novello did was like was doing programming for the community libraries. Um, they got in touch and they're like, "Oh, would you guys want to do comics classes?" How did they know who you were? I think that they got in touch with Joe Deary, and uh, who I had lived with and who was familiar with the stuff I was doing. And at that point, I was doing like. I was doing some childcare that kind of overlapped with what the Providence Comics Consortium became. Um, I was doing like radio. I was doing some podcasting stuff um, in Providence because you moved here from California, but you had some places in between there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, and <laughs> and uh, and so like I was doing like we would do we do lots of 
me and the kids that I was like working with were like doing recording and we were doing like prank phone calls, <laughs> kind of beautiful, cool. uh, like, uh, kind of reality TV show prank phone calls where uh-huh. we would call people. Um, we did this one thing called stick your phone out the window where the kids <laughs> would, uh, you know, call people in different places and ask them to stick their phone out the window. And like, we couldn't ever hear <laughs> what they were saying. And there, we had like a list of questions in case the kids got stuck. And it would be that thing where it was like different kids that I was working with had different um, kind of go-to things. Like I remember uh, one of the kids would would always say, I love you. And that would kind (laughs) of like, uh, like, you know, unbalance uh, people. Uh, But but the idea was that they, you know, it's like, hey, hello, you're the next contestant on stick the phone out the window. You know, it's like, say your name. It's like, you know, where are you? All right, will you stick your phone out the window? And like, we'd never be able to hear anything um, unless they were like on a busy street or something. And uh, and uh, and then what? You know, it would be. Well, can you describe? We couldn't really hear anything. Can you describe what it was? And uh, and then it would just be like, all right, would you like to sing a song? <laughs> and just and I remember this is a podcast. What was this? Well, so it became, it was, they were segments on, and I say podcasts, but I guess at the time it was a radio show. It was a radio show on the Brown Student Community Radio called The Sparkle. And um, I did a bunch of projects in different, uh, that were always called called The Sparkle. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but it was a, it was just a bunch of different uh, weird things. But like, so, so it wasn't always with kids, but there was segments cool. that I would do. Um, and you were living with Joe Deary, who is also a cartoonist, illustrator. Right. And, and you know, I had lived with her right when I moved to Providence for, for like six months or a year or something like that. I forget where we were going. Um. So Providence, uh, the oh, Providence just Community the, Libraries contacted okay. you. And I was just wondering. Oh how yeah, you, how, how it? You were. Yeah. So I think Joe. Yeah. And initially, it was an interesting thing when I first sat down with Michelle and Lanham. I think it was me and Will Schaff, um, who he's out in California now, but he was the he's a he's a musician embroidery artist and oh cool and. Uh, kind of harsh dude it was a funny uh meeting just because he was just like you know i'm not gonna take if these kids don't want to be here i'm not gonna um and i think it was just like oh this might not be a great fit or whatever so me and andrew did it and the first year um i think i think my um you know when it first started we didn't know if it was gonna keep going so we had I think it was the initial run was like six weeks at six different libraries all at the same time or like you know three libraries then three libraries or something but it so was, you were doing three Andrew was doing three yeah I think that's yeah I think that's once true. a week uh I think it was I think you know I would be doing one library Monday and Tuesday and I'd do another library Tuesday Thursday okay um or Monday Wednesday Tuesday Thursday and so it was insane and we were we did some interesting stuff that first time that that was cool and haven't haven't necessarily replicated it since yeah. just because there hasn't been such a concentrated uh 
just like there hasn't been that many classes all running at once but like i think after the first class we made character books where kids had basically made character sheets of uh their they had made new characters and then made stats for their characters um Um, so it would be character sheets would be a drawing of a character their name and then like height and weight and all sorts of yeah, right. and like an or and like a quick origin story, and so we were able to, and then we printed those like the day after the first day of class, and so those would so that was kind of like this weird that that was this weird communication between libraries in real time. So kids were like spinning off other characters in another library that a kid. Yeah, yeah, and there would be weird, like, and and we totally welcomed total, like, uh, they would, and and then, you know, so, like, it it was interesting to see how trends would pop up in terms of, like, I'm trying, like, I think Time Stopper was a character that one kid made, um, (laughs) and then there was just, like, a ton of other characters that were basically kind of in that he-man way where it's the same body over and over with different heads you know it was it became this kind of time stopper was like a uh became a model for a bunch of other kids characters so there was like this crazy mind meld between the kids so i i don't know so i think that that was super so they would interesting they Mm -hmm. would create characters Uh and then would other kids create comics based on the characters you know, so I think that they would, so that first six weeks, like, I think that in some ways it was less, the actual making of comics was less organized um, uh-huh. than it became. So all the content that they made in terms of, like, doing comics pages was saved up and all came out at once a year later <laughs> as, like, a 250-page book. Which was super crazy. It was Andrew Esch's, like, that was, like, his learning how to use the Offset Press uh, project. And it from AS220? Yeah. And so I, so I think in some ways that was super ambitious. And I think it broke my mind in some ways that the amount of time it took. I, you know, now I'm totally familiar with, you know, everything takes so much longer than you than you than you ever think it's gonna take, but like, unlike your other work in Valencia, where it was that same day, <laughs> right? So I think in some ways, I think when I started, so I started doing, I think like around October twenty eleven. So like one year after we first started the classes is when like the first showcase starts, and okay. that and that's like all right. So we're doing. A, cla- a free. Cl- I don't know if we've even gotten to the what the Providence Comics Consortium is. So we do free classes at the libraries. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, there's free classes at the libraries. It's you. Uh huh. And who else? Well, so it's and then our total revolving um, cast of like teaching assistants, um, artists who are getting who get assignments. Um, to draw with the kids book. Yeah, to yeah. get assignments from the kids to draw. So so it's a it's a it's you know, at this point it's a huge number of people. Um yeah. and uh and then I and then Julia Gualtieri, my girlfriend, is also I feel like her like the feather in her cap in terms of the Providence Comics Consortium is she gets us like we were talking about the 
the classes we taught in Telluride, like she's really good at putting together these out of outside of Providence um, PCC events oh, cool. or tours. Like I feel like that's like her wheelhouse is. We did the we did a bike tour of Rhode Island and then did another big book like that first book where it was like 140 kids, you know, got published all at once. Oh, you know, cool. um, and then you have a party like a launch party, right? Yeah, right. And you, yeah, you actually did some of those classes when she was out of town. Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> North Providence, I believe, and I East <laughs> East Providence. I don't know. But yeah, so, I, you know, so the two of us are mainstays. And then, like, like Caitlin Callie is always in the mix. More, most recently, Ryan Alves has been um, assisting with classes. Uh, Jeremy Ferris. You know, there's just so many. Um, so you, you started out with, like, this first class. Mm-hmm. It was proposed to you. Mm-hmm. The, the libraries came to you. Mm-hmm. And then and then you've been doing the Province Commons Consortium Fence for the last seven years. Yeah. You do short workshops in libraries that are free. Yeah. I think, yeah. They, you know, we do, we do some, like, kind of quiet uh, workshops that are paid, but at the libraries, they're always free. And um, yeah, and the the idea is generally that the books are checkoutable from the library. So we're actually, the libraries are actually producing content that are available at the library. Cool. Um, And I, you know, I think there's been one, more than one kid who's like, spilled spaghetti on their books <laughs> you know, like ruin their books but then they can like check them out from the library yeah because every student of the class gets their own sure. comic in their book and sure. all the kids get a book together sure and like we've and done that's what the showcases are yeah that's totally what the showcases are and then like that we've done lots of weird things like so this this is like this is what was the kids project at the in telluride at the aha school where okay. it's like everybody did their own book so and then just bundle. got a bundle of zines. It's a bundle of zines tied with string. <laughs> string. And oh, then, cool. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we've done all sorts of things. They're just focusing on a single character, like the Tarantulina book or the Rhode Island Department of Transportation. Uh, for, for a while, the Providence Community Library used the Department of Transportation as like the single source for funding for the PCC. Uh-huh. So we were doing lots of like seatbelt, uh, cautionary, gory seatbelt comics. Yes, I was um, a part of that. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, and so we've been chugging along. And then we were the artists in residence for Foo Fest one year, which is a downtown like art and music festival put on by AS220. And so we had a bunch of public mask making workshops and we had a parade. Aaron DeMuth made a big like 36 foot long paper mache school bus that the kids paraded <laughs> around and then ripped apart. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, and then most, and then like uh, last winter we made uh, the drawing, the draw, the sketchbook drawing uh, kit, which is basically a uh, home game version mm-hmm. of like the comics consortium uh, classes at the it, libraries. It, so what's a drawing game? Well, so, okay, so the classes, the, the way that I think about the classes is that the 
that the first half of the class is like a yoga class where you're kind of being led through all these different poses. Um, and then the second half is, you know, kids getting to work on their character sheets or their, their personal work. So in terms of what I mean by the yoga class analogy is we'll like sitting around the table, we'll do um, sketchbook games where everybody is involved in generating images that uh that you know everybody is basically um filling their sketchbook with the same images that the second half of the class they can mine for their own personal work so for example like cool. the 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 first one that pops into my head because it's kind of the first one that we always do is 21 heads um it's not super complicated <laughs> it's just like each person gets to propose some sort of weird head and then everybody gets a minute or to to draw that head, and then it's the next person uh, proposing a head. And so, so, what are what kind of heads are we talking? Well, you know, I I think uh, my brain immediately goes to like a classic head that I think was pro- proposed by uh, Faye. I think it was like a it was some sort of head with antlers with a moon rotating around it you oh, know yeah. that was, that was like a you know a kind of a var- you know there's always kids that are kind of like plants who will make the <laughs> who who will go varsity right at the beginning so that everybody else has to catch up um but so yeah in in some ways it's a uh, there there can be a heightening aspect where people are getting making crazier and crazier heads but like i don't know it could be a head in the shape of the first letter of your name with a tattoo of the of the first letter of your last name on that face you know and you're like what okay you have one minute and you know so i think it's in some ways a lot of these games are um, da- dazzle camouflage to like force people into dr- drawing crazy stuff that they before they can even get out the words I can't draw it's just like boom you're already you know you're already drawing and it doesn't matter and the the, the stakes aren't just low you know there are no stakes yeah. and just like just draw <laughs> do not worry because there's so your philosophy is like more like it's not like you're not teaching children how to draw well, in, I don't know. Or what? I what don't are, know. Maybe. Your... Well, because I mean, so because I mean, it's weird, right? Like, you know, I think up until middle school, generally, depending on how free a kid's mind is, they can kind of they they can they can just like we were, we were talking about um, um, kids drawing in juvie. Yeah. You know, like I think up until middle school, most kids um, haven't been programmed with the like, I can't draw right. terror. Um, middle Once middle school sets in, it seems like a lot of people either, uh, if they're not going to a Montessori school or a private yeah, yeah. school, like that kind of sets in one way or another in terms of... Um, like they don't believe that they can right or or yeah there's there's a there's a moment of time where i think there's a gap in terms of kids wanting to render things perfectly yeah which is interesting because like i think largely in a lot of in a lot of corners of art nobody cares about 
rendering things perfectly yeah, anymore yeah. anyways because yeah. we have photography we have computers that can make perf they can make things quote unquote perfect um but yeah you know we don't we that's not that's not necessarily the best use of a human at this yeah, point yeah, yeah. you know it's like <laughs> um but um uh oh but so teaching kids to draw so i mean in one way i think you're right like i'm not uh i'm not interested in in like a skilled uh training of the correct way to draw um like i i you know i think that uh and in a lot of ways i just think that like once once depending on what you're doing but largely once you've kind of drawn enough your style whatever that style is will emerge and yeah. uh or multiple styles right like i but um so i think i think largely it's about getting loose so after a series of classes at the fox point library um emmy bright came in and interviewed the kids and a kid named emmett had answered the question about what uh like teaching styles um and you know what you would change about it whatever and he was his his response was no he was into it and uh the maybe wouldn't characterize it as walker as a teacher but that it was more like i was a facilitator in a TV, like uh, like a tv writing room or something <laughs> Um, and I, oh, I, interesting. I, and I appreciated that the, um, and I think that that's, I think that's accurate in a lot of ways. So I think that that's, I think, uh, in a lot of ways, that's the, the drawing games, uh, you know, examples of some of the other drawing games are like mutation where say you start with a, some sort of creature and then I change something about that creature and the next person changes something about that creature but we're all drawing each um in our own sketchbook we're drawing each uh stage of that creature's mutation yeah um and then so boom we've done some we've done a couple of sketchbook games in the first hour of comics class and now it's time to work on your solo comic or your comic that you're doing with a friend. Um, and you just have a sketchbook that's full of images that you've made that were, that were kind of um, generated in a mind meld fashion by a bunch of people around a table. And so it's kind of, we create like a, a common uh, repository for images that kids can draw from so I think that there's a few different things. So number one, they can draw from them. Number two, it's kind of kind of a clearing out of the mind, um, just in terms of getting stuff out of the way. It's, yeah, it's totally. kind of like flossing too. Yeah. Like you're already, you've already been drawing for an hour. All right, now work on your thing. You yeah. know, so it's like you're already kind of warmed up. And yeah, so I I don't know. That's been kind of a winning strategy, I think. Yeah. Um. So. Why don't we, I want to broaden it a little bit. Sure. Do you have any teaching philosophies or education philosophies or art, community art philosophies or like, what's your approach? 
Okay, so I think in I so I think that bringing in having the kids make assignments for adult cartoonists, um, adults really like it um, to to be included in that way. And then because I think a lot of artists don't necessarily have a lot of uh, access to uh, working with kids. Um, yeah. And then on the other side of the coin, like I think it's interesting. I mean these drawing games and stuff are an example of it too, but just seeing your ideas go through the prism of somebody else's um, brain or hand, I think it's another valuable um, thread that's like constantly woven through the comics consortium. Um, so yeah. what's an example of an assignment that an adult artist would get from students? This is like the Promise mm -hmm. Comics Consortium class and they ask an adult to draw something and it's published in the book, right? Correct. And so just like, um, so just looking at, so Julia recently did a, an assignment in the most recent uh, issue of Wipeout that was called Bummer Basement. And then that was an assignment that was basically just one of the warm-up games that was like, each person is telling us one fact about this place. Um, and the place on that particular uh, game was the bummer basement and so her comic is just about this grandma's basement but <laughs> i'll just give you some examples uh so in its drawn form it's like art by julie gualtieri script by the pcc spring break at new urban arts 2015 um bummer basement there's a lot of junk in the bummer basement smelly junk there's a lot of animals in the bummer basement. Grandma keeps her jars of human body parts in the bummer basement. <laughs> Grandma also keeps her Barbie dream house in the bummer basement. <laughs> and then it just keeps going, and it's very weird and, and takes a lot of uh, odd turns. But so I think just in terms of community art philosophy, I think that in that way, it creates a symbolic dialogue between kids in the community and adult artists in the community. But then I think it also creates, it also creates a bridge because bringing different people into the comics classes, they actually meet them. And then as these eight year olds become 15 year olds become 23 year olds, they're familiar with artists in the community. They already have connections in the community and I think that in a lot of ways, the philosophy is making some of these hidden art communities uh, more transparent to kids who could really benefit from and add to those communities. And I think just making a, uh, just maybe lubricating that transition yeah. a little bit. Yeah, because but, like, like Providence has like quite a few artists, but it can seem like it's a closed circuit or it's a closed world right i mean if you're just if you're a kid in a let's just like you know i think new urban arts does this too um which is an organization and it's across the street from a couple of high schools it's it's two doors down from at a books where the providence comics consortium is uh yeah. is 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 located and yeah, they do they do arts after school drop ins and they've been doing it for fifteen years. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Creating access to what could be a closed world. 
I don't think it's necessarily intentionally closed. Yeah. But it's kind of that it's, I think that in some ways that community is in, in some ways, I don't think it realizes um, that it's even closed. And in some ways it, I don't think it is closed, but I think it is also subject to kind of like gentrification and stuff like that in a way that like, I think that there's a lot of, different communities are protective in different ways, you yeah. know, because of that. But I think that there's actually, you know, just thinking about kids at like, let's just say the Washington Park Library. Um, w- recently, we went down and had a, um, I had a big stack of uh, RISD Museum guest passes. And we did a screen printing uh, night where people could just bring t-shirts and we made I heart Washington Park Library <laughs> and just like had a messy screen printing night where everybody brought their like blank t-shirts and sweatpants and whatever they wanted screen yeah. printed on and uh, like that so that wasn't necessarily the Providence Comics Consortium but like it was in a way um, I think that's the library totally build it it's like walker's gonna be coming on thursday <laughs> with a with a bunch of like 20 somethings from the as220 print shop and they're gonna screen print uh-huh. on on stuff and it'll be it'll be fun and weird and you know uh i guess another chunk of the community art philosophy is using the libraries in that way um that the libraries are totally are totally a valuable community resource like it's actually really special that we have a Mm -hmm. a place that's totally free to go to that you can borrow books for free just thinking about how crazy that was at the beginning of libraries at the beginning of free libraries and uh you know i think they're trying to reinvent themselves as like you know we become confused about how to use physical books and whether or not we like to read on paper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think that libraries necessarily want to be just places where people who don't have computers at home check their Facebook or whatever. But like, so in that way, I think that they have a huge opportunity in terms of being utilized by the community and the community utilizing them. They're kind of an easy go-to starting point for a lot of these for for just like inner community for community overlap between different communities yeah Um, uh, because they're already situated in neighborhoods and 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 i think similar similar to like probably why the providence comics consortium is comics and not poetry or comics not i don't know gymnastics um (laughs) Is it just like the the how wide the accessibility is for comics? Yeah. Um, that they can be like the you know you don't have to you don't have to speak English well to make comics. You yeah. don't even have to use words. Yeah. You you don't necessarily like. I think that there is just we're at a specific point right now. You know, but I. But I think maybe this is always true, but like if the door is kind of wide open, like I think comics are a wide enough in 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 our collective consciousness in in all all the overlapping communities. I think 
you know, I don't know. We're in a moment where they're not just, you know, I, I don't think anybody gets made fun of in terms of comics <laughs> being babyish yeah, in, yeah. anymore in the <laughs> way that maybe they were or that that I think people are so afraid that I think like librarians, I think librarians are awesome. Um, but I think that there is like such a fear that nobody's going to learn to read anymore that like, <laughs> you know, there's a desperate clinging to comics in a way that interesting. Uh, that like back in the day, like in terms of like the the Wortham comics fear uh-huh. thing where it was like, why are kids inside wasting their time reading, you know, uh, <laughs> or why are they reading this garbage instead of uh, like literature? It's like now it's, it's just like, oh my God, it, are they going to learn to read? <laughs> I don't know. You know, so I think that there is, I think in some ways, um, Oh, the, 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 the link I was going to, that I was going for was um, just the same way that comics are accessible now, generally, like whatever people are open to them. Like libraries are so easy to go into the door of the library. And in terms of like what, what libraries are willing to to do, Uh I feel like they're, they're open and excited to do. Yeah, like I'm... just this last week, there was the alternative Comic Con, which is like the free shadow convention to the Providence Comic Con and <laughs> Rhode like, Island Comic Con, Rhode <laughs> Island Comic Con, and uh, yeah, I don't know. And so, like, I don't know. I love that. I love that there's like a free alternative, and yeah, there's totally a whole lot of uh, interesting, like, weird art happening during cool. that. You know. Uh, so there's a band called um, Countdown to Putch, and they were really weird. They were a weird, like, hardcore slash improvisational jazz band in, like, <laughs> New York. Um, and But they were all, like, teachers in, at, like, public schools, and their CD came inside of a book. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, they were, what they were, year was this? you know, it was 2001. Okay. They were around in, two, in like the 2000, you know, in the ni- 90s to 2000 uh, century shift. And uh, they, you know, I think they made an argument in their, so the book was basically a, uh, a dictionary of terms and then like under certain like alphabetically organized and then like when you got to the title of one of their songs it would be the lyrics of their songs oh, but okay. but uh i you know i think they they kind of made the argument in terms of like DIY communities in terms of thinking locally like that every community would have a Beyonce that every community yeah. and obviously they weren't using Beyonce as an example at that point but um but just that there's there's talent and uh, energy very close at hand, and that perhaps we do ourselves a disservice by focusing uh, focusing solely on celebrities from Southern California, and like yeah. we can um, uh, that they don't necessarily be need to be uh, picked for us by corporations, and that. Um, we can, you could actually be friends with Beyonce in <laughs> in your town, you know, or in your, 
in your state even, you know? And, yeah. uh, and so I, I totally think that's, I still think that that's very true. And I guess that, and I guess you're right. That totally feeds into the idea of like why build bridges between just anybody who would hang out at the library, but, and then especially kids who are interested in art at the library and like the larger um, art community, especially in Providence, because there's just so many, there's just uh, so many people, like you can't step out the door without tripping over artists. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's there to be had. I, th I think that, you know, I think it would be, it'd be goofy to allow ignorance of the existence of um, the the resources that are at hand, you know, yeah. be they yeah. human or institutional or inspirational, just yeah. like I, you know, it would be, it'd be a waste uh, for only a small group of people to know um, what's really going on, cool. you know. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so what are your current projects, and what excites you about the future? All right. So this year has been a this year has been a uh, an a fun, odd year, and I'm I'm told by people close to me that it's been productive. It's it's difficult <laughs> to see out a little bit. So I'm the artist fellow at the RISD Museum, and so that's like a that's a January to December project, and so oh, you're ending soon. So I'm ending soon. I'm ending real soon, and. Wow. So we talked about the night market the other night. That was part of it. Earlier in the year, I took a woodshop class um, and made a big old uh, bat shelf and was uh, playing with a jigsaw and an <laughs> angle grinder and like using them as drawing tools, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I moved to a place where I can't quite can't be quite so loud. So I'm trying to figure. I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to pop back into the angle grinding, uh, <laughs> but I have a, a, some like half half Z projects um, in my basement that I need to get angle grinding. So I'm excited about that. Um, uh, this year I I got sick earlier in the year just with the flu or something, oh. and. Um, in the NyQuil haze that surrounded that, I started doing blob revelations, which is just like... Oh, that's what you're talking about, the night market. Yeah, and so like doing um, large random blob shapes um, and then going to sleep and then like coming back to them with a little tiny brush and um, like turning off my head brain, um, which... Uh, seems pretty important with all like the political stuff that's going on to like uh, re-up sometimes and just um, you know check in just with uh, just let the create you know turn off the fear and anger yeah. and let uh, you know just like mainline the creativity or whatever um, just to just to get back to um, a human baseline the, so for the night market the other night, I made some. I've been. Um, I made some trading cards relating to um, artifacts that I've been looking at um, in the RISD Museum collection, uh -huh. and uh, specifically 
objects that are in the ethnographic art collection, which doesn't have a curator. So these are objects with not a lot of oversight. And um, I've specifically been looking at masks, and that kind of overlaps with the angle grinding. Um, <laughs> I got I got interested in uh, in in like. In, so, the, in these wooden masks. In like wooden masks. Okay. Um, but but then that's I've just kind of led that, uh, let that lead me serendipitously, um, specifically to one donation um, that happened in 1981. That's a lot of objects from Papua New Guinea, and and some of the objects are 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 largely undocumented where they're from. Um, and I'm working on a um, I'm going to use the RISD Museum Fellowship as an excuse to make a big old hardcover screen printed book. So cool. like, um, that's what I'm going to be working on um, during like uh, December and January. Oh, and then, so, awesome. And I'm excited to do, you know, I do, last year I had a fellowship at the Providence Community Library and I've done these. Province Public Library. Public Library, PPL. correct. PPL yeah, yeah. at the downtown the special collections of the Providence Public Library, and uh, you know I didn't I didn't get to do an artist talk, and so I'm like, oh, I'm interested in getting to like just show pictures and cool. and like uh, I don't know. I've seen other people do those, and I've yeah, kind yeah. of gotten jealous because I'm like, oh, <laughs> I think in a lot of ways the process is probably more interesting than. <laughs> Like yeah, I mean it's sure. a it's a huge part of it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And but similar to like that's the, what teaching is like too. Right. <laughs> so I think that in some ways that was what putting out the book of sketchbook games was about. In some ways, was documenting, um, kind of the unseen, uh, parts of the Providence cool. Comics Consortium. So I think I wanted, I think uh, I'm excited to do this uh, artist talk as a uh, kind of the unseen part of this fellowship I've been doing. Awesome. That sounds great. Me too. Um, good luck in the future. Oh, thank you. you um, <laughs> good luck to you in the future. Um, so the last question okay. is usually how we end our podcast, uh -oh. which is, what are you reading right now? You know, I'm not reading... I'm not reading a book right now. Most recent book that I finished reading was um, uh, by the Strugatsky brothers called Roadside Picnic. Which is Ooh. um what is it which is like great. a literature book or? yeah it's a uh it's a word book and <laughs> it's uh uh so Arkady and Boris Dragotsky were Soviet science fiction writers um one of them's still alive I'm I'm not sure which one of them passed away um but this one it was it has it has a listing in the back of the book of the english version of the book that's uh all that lists the amount like everything that was censored in the book <laughs> and so they if i'm remembering right it was like a 10 year period of bringing it back to the censors over and over and over again um and i think it was the first um to get it published first first book of literature to uh, force through the censors by editing it and bringing it back and editing it and bringing it back and editing it and bringing it back until they finally published it. Oh. Um, and because they just wouldn't. But so it's it, uh, 
just the the quick synopsis is it, it's affected a lot of the science fiction that we kind of um see now um oh, cool. like stranger things uh totally um like the idea of the upside down i think is is completely borrowed from roadside picnic roadside picnic is about um um it's about there's been some contact um by aliens uh there's little documentation of it and all that's left are these no-go zones and it's the books about scavengers who go and get the leftover alien trash <laughs> and they secretly bring it back jumping over the border secretly and and clandestinely selling um alien trash technology oh, like just discarded batteries and stuff to scientists <laughs> so it's just like it's just kind of the criminal underworld that kind of grows up around this stuff um these and in some ways it's an allegory i think to like the way russia got treated by the west during soviet time yeah. period in terms of like oh here's our ripped up levi's and like people are just like you know you know frantically pirating like or just like secreting uh levi's over the border that these these objects that are super undervalued on one side of a wall and super overvalued on another side of the oh. wall and the criminal stuff that grows up around it because you know, who's allowed to make money off of stuff but, yeah so i don't know it's really great awesome yeah thank you yeah thank you that was the first episode of Drawing and Dialogue Presents, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Walker Metling, and thanks to Downtown Boys for the use of their song, Wave of History, which you can get there at their band camp. You can find more Drawing and Dialogue at drawingadialogue.com or at Twitter at DrawDialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. Thanks for listening, and farewell to our intrepid volunteers. Yeah.